Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Med- Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader, back here once again with one of these lockdown specials of Truth and Movies. Today, I'm joined by David Jenkins. Hi, David. Hey there. And David, we're doing something a little differently. So far, we've had all these cosy conversations with Little White Lies contributors and friends, but we're going almost old school in a way we're going to cover a new release with an interview do you want to say a little bit about what this interview is who it is what film we're talking about today yeah we're cut we're covering a a filmmaker and a critic and artist uh and poet who has uh been around for for a fair fair while on these shores and uh we we've uh, i'm i've uh um enjoyed his work over many many years um it's it's uh mark cousins who many many of of the old 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 school will have discovered as uh someone who did intros to movies on on channel four on movie drome i think didn't he i think he did movie drome after alex cox i believe and uh and then he did this great book called story of film which was his kind of alternative film history and I think one of the things that he's always tried to do as a critic is offer a kind of counterpoint or counter narrative to to traditional modes of of looking at film and film history and uh he has sort of um later in his career sort of more recently he's moved into film and he's this very kind of um industrious filmmaker now has made you know pretty much has made a film a year for the last kind of 10 years or so and um the, they're a mixture of essay films and qu- quite sort of like you know look, look looking at architecture and film history and archi- archivism arch- archiving movies and his uh that side of things and it's very kind of global outlook on things and this uh latest project that he's got i i think is maybe one of his his the best things he's ever done it's called uh women make film and it's a um it's a kind of let me let me just confirm how many chapters it is because it's a lot it's a 40 chapter um epic series running to 14 hours so each chapter runs maybe about sort of 15 20 minutes and it is a kind of it's basically a celebration of of women filmmakers but in it, it but but not not kind of not overtly um hyperbolic in that way what it is 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 it is uh, that there is a little preamble at the beginning of each episode narrated by Tilda Swinton which says you know all the classics of cinema are made by men uh you know you look at the big canonical titles and it's and it's men 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 it's hitchcock it's hawks it's john luc goddard and his 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 kind of brief for this that he sort of set himself is what if there was an alter- what if we looked at cinema history through films only made by women and so um what we have is um it's it is it is very much allied to the idea of the kind of you know DIY film school so 
you know it's it's not like it's not like let's look at this director and look at how, what um let, look at her life and what she did it's basically saying let's look at how let's look at how openings are depicted on film and here is here are 10 examples of great openings in films all, all made by women directors and how are how are traveling shots made in films and how is death depicted in films and how is the idea of discovery depicted in film so it's all it's these very kind of primal concepts and uh the film all just just brings them together very simply with a narrate like various people narrating tilda swinton and you've got um um jane fonda in there as well and kerry fox and um uh shamila tagore who's like a big bollywood actress uh really amazing narrations from everyone who who like they really kind of invest themselves i mean jane fonda narrating about you know quite obscure eastern european art house directors is really a quite something of a revelation so um yeah i i met uh spoke with mark over over the skype uh asked him a few questions about this kind of epic undertaking and uh yeah he was he he was he was glad to answer them his his laptop did crash a couple of times what during uh during the the, the recording but uh i think we've tried to kind of paste over that with the 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 magic of editing so um hopefully you won't notice too much and you'll be just whisked away by mark cousin's wonderful voice indeed indeed enjoy that as well <laughs> let's have a listen to your interview with mark Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Well, Mark, thanks so much again for uh, taking time out to uh, to chat to us about your film, Women Make Film. You're welcome. Uh, um, and um, yeah, c- congratulations on it. It is like, it's been a joy to watch. It's a very addictive film to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, you find it, I found myself diving into it and uh, just doing a kind of oh I just do one more chapter just one more <laughs> chapter and then it just uh, it, I just kept going um I I think the first question is about the first film that you feature which is yes. this, this film called We Were Young yes um a Bulgarian film yes and um 
I'd love to know, could you just tell us, it must have been a big decision to choose to start on that film, this yes. this 14-hour road movie. Yeah. When you make a film, you can either float in the way David like David Lynch likes you to, or you can plunge in. And I like to plunge in sometimes. And I thought, start with a film clip that is visually exciting. And as you know, it's two torchlights who, that meet at night during World War II. Um, visually exciting, but also by a filmmaker who isn't well known. If I had started with Jane Campion or Agnes Varda or Catherine Bigelow, people might have thought, okay, here we go. Same old, same old. But if I started with a brilliant scene, which is also by a less well known filmmaker, I might capture your attention, hopefully. I see. And and can you tell us just a bit of the story about how you came across that film? I mean, is this this a film that you discovered from your um, research into making this or is this something you've known about for a long time? I'd known about Binka Zelyazkova for a long time but I'd seen very few of her films. One of her films is, has been on YouTube for some years. Uh, uh, it's called The Inflated Balloon. It's got various titles but that's roughly it. And I'd seen that, David, and I thought it was fantastically good. You know, funny and visually daring, touches of Fellini, etc. So I could tell she was very good. But um, some of the rest of her work was very hard to see. So I got the email address of the Bulgarian Film Archive and emailed um, a, a woman, there's a director, a woman called um, Antonia, I can't remember her second name. And I told her what I was doing. I told her how much I admired Zelyazkova. There's also a short documentary about her on YouTube. And within a few weeks, a package of Blu-rays came. And the archive had very nicely, very copied a lot of her films for me. And that's sort of gold dust, you know, that's the best Christmas present you can get. And you watch her films and she realised she had this fantastic career, bold, daring, visually gutsy Baroque, you know, not nibbling at cinema, but chomping at it. And that excited me. Do you, you must, when that happens, you must sort of ask yourself these this, this the, the same sort of refrain must be going through your head when you're when you're thinking, why isn't this director well known? Why isn't this? Why isn't she out on the Criterion Collection? And why don't people have? Why isn't she part of this of this wider conversation? I mean, did did that did that happen a lot through this process? Yeah, and you know, you you come across the same answers, and you you know, those of us who've been interested in films directed by women have been coming across the same answers for decades, as you know. You know, um, the usual ones that the critics are men, etc. In addition, if you're dealing with a filmmaker who came from the former former Soviet bloc, as she did, then there's a sort of. Uh, political sequestration as well. Some of her films had leftist messages. Now, she was against the state in many ways, but some of her films had leftist messages. And even despite the wonderful liberalism of the kind of artsy cultural world in cinema, nonetheless, it didn't respond well to some Soviet-era messages. And I think she she suffered, she was tarred with that brush. But also, you know, the idea of the auteur back in the 60s when she was working was really quite male. It was Fellini and it was Bergman and it was people who, men who were looking into male angst and the big sort of traditional philosophical questions. And so if you didn't fit, you didn't fit. And Binka Zelyazkova didn't fit. Can I ask, on that idea of of the auteur, um, I mean, this this, uh, this series is focused on the idea of directors 
Yes. And the, and the sort of director as the creative godhead of of the project is. I mean, is is this something that is it that is is you believe in? Is this something that you ap- uh, applied to the project? Um, what was the decision to focus on the director? Well, yes, as you mentioned, in Women Make Film, I don't look much at... I, th- I think of directors as visual thinkers, and that's the theme. Like, how did these women think visually? Hence, there's there's nothing about music and there's nothing about, you know, sound design, for example, because the director seldom did the music and seldom did the sound design. So I wanted to focus on visual thinking because that's the bit that I understand most. As a filmmaker, you know, that's the bit that is the most exciting. That's what filmmakers talk about in a way, you know. There's all the other brilliant stuff as well. I am, I'm frankly more moved by the sound and music in film, but I'm not a musician, I'm not a sound designer, I'm a filmmaker. And so uh, what I, I try to stick to what I know and that's filming. And the director's still the central figure in a film, and therefore I don't make any apology for starting with that. You know, you could make another film about the great screenwriters or the great uh, editors or the great sound designers who are women. Can I ask what was what in this process of making this film? What was what what, what were the some of the biggest revelations for you in terms of discovery? Because I mean. There are so much in this in this film in in this series <laughs> that feels completely new, and that you that you're just dis- you, you. This is a process of your discovery at the same time. Yeah, uh, there were loads of individual filmmakers. I I hadn't seen Caroline Leaf's animations, the, the beautiful uh, Canadian animations. I had seen uh, some of Astrid Henning Jensen's films, but not some not of her best. I'd only seen one Kinyo Tanaka film, and as you know, she was a great actor on Ozu and Mitsuguchi and all those classic Japanese films. But I didn't realise that she was uh, as good a director as she was an actor. And um, so some names were entirely new to me, uh, uh, but in most instances I'd seen some of these filmmakers work and I sort of haughtily assumed that if I'd seen them the the best ones of their work would have arrived on our shores or into my mind and of course that's not true the very best of these filmmakers work often was hardly available at all lots of discoveries a real sense of discovery and on on that point also I would say that I've always been um, more interested in what I don't know than what I do you know, I've all I've never been one of those movie fans who just watches the same films all the time. The same five hundred films becomes your comfort zone, your harbor. I've always been far more interested in what I don't know in my own ignorance. Uh, and in other words, I am what I'm not in a way. Mm-hmm. And were there any like, were there any subjects or were there any films that that in the in the kind of process of making this you that they were kind of just completely inaccessible to you or do you you know if you if you're having having explored this this area and 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 these filmmakers was there anything that just eluded you yes i mean as you know david in silent cinema most of silent cinema is lost so there are 
great films directed by women from the silent era which we cannot see you know hopefully they might turn up in some archive in in siberia or something but we don't know um beyond that i, w- I have a very good producer uh in glasgow uh hopscotch uh producer john archer and clara glenn and they are were able to get me a lot of stuff you know by whatever means by what what means i don't know i think that some kind of mafia strong arming goes on but it also helps David, that I have made things like the story of film, which was shown very widely in many countries. And therefore, I have got a bit of a reputation as someone who can not only look into a film, but uh, if I use some clips of a film, it might get widely seen. And that's attractive to somebody who has a print of something or owns a material or owns a master tape or something. So I think I've built some kind of trust in the sort of archive community, and that helps too. One of the things that is very striking from a visual perspective, I mean, I had to watch this on on a computer because because it's not because obviously it's not not available to to see on a, on a screen at this at this moment. What's striking is like there, you watch a lot of um, documentaries now that contain archive footage of old films, and often you know not often but very occasionally you see like rips from YouTube that's, that are very low grade and um, very sort of pixelated and blocky. And it what you know we're seeing all these you know extremely rare films and the quality is just pristine in in you know most if not all cases and it's like it, that that for me was one of the was one of the things that felt really incredible about this film that you've kind of gone through so much care and attention of of actually sourcing high quality uh, archive material and that must well, have just my been producers, yes. nightmarish I think they, uh, they worked very very hard you know and this is being released in Blu-ray for example and so we knew that we would be exposed if we use low quality material. I would say as a matter of principle I will put a film in even if we can't get a good source copy for it David because it's, it's better to show the audience here's something great but um, we can't find a good copy of it. For example, Anna Mariscal's film, uh, El Camino, the Spanish film, we couldn't get a good copy of that, but we put it in as well to remind people or to put her name on the list. Anna Mariscal, a great movie star who turned director. And even people in Spain, I was in the Cinematheque in in Madrid recently, and um, even they hadn't seen the films that she had directed. So that's an example of low quality footage, maybe even from YouTube, but it's better to put it in as a place marker, as a sort of jacuzzi to the film world. Look at this great director and look, we can't find a good copy. Would it be fair to to refer to this as a counter history? Is that that too kind of negative a thinking about about what what it is you're doing here because um it it, it feels more like i mean it, it it feels a bit like that i think that's pretty good i would be happy with that it's a mad it's like pushing pushing the hist- the conventional history to one side you know, imagine if this film sort of walking along the catalog walk and elbowing other film histories out of the way and say, look at me, look at look at this, look what I am. You know, it's something like that. It's certainly an affirmative work. It's it's, bo- it's born out of anger, but also love of cinema. And yeah, hopefully you can feel that. And yes, it is trying to blame all of us, you know, including me and you and everybody in the culture for not knowing this material. Uh, and it's not trying to make us feel guilty that we didn't know this stuff, 
but it's sort of saying, look, it's available, it can be seen, and definitely it's a counter-cultural thing. It's in the form as well as the content. The content is a counter-history, but hopefully I think the the way that the film's made is a bit unconventional as well. And it's it's a counter-narrative counter on kind of two levels in a way, because it is showing us these these women artists who we may not be a party to but then at the same time and this is something that you're kind of well known for throughout your film and writing work is that we're seeing um geographically diverse and 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 a a real uh, effort to not focus on the kind of hegemony of hollywood but actually the Mm -hmm. art that is you know that art as a very global thing um what where, where does that impulse come from yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think that I come from a very small part of the world, Northern Ireland, and um, but I've travelled a lot. And one of the big things that I did in my life is drive from here, where I'm sitting now, Edinburgh, to India. Uh, across across uh, it took sort of five months. And when you drive, when you do big drives around the world or big walks around the world, you start to feel that nowhere is the centre. You get a sort of you know, you think about somebody like Copernicus, who taught, who said, who asked the simple question: What if if we are not the center? What if Hollywood is not the center of cinema? What if the triangle isn't L.A., London, Paris? And it sort of isn't, you know. And um, particularly in cinema, which is such a global language, it's almost a cliche to say that. But from the times of Chaplin, you know, we had films that were being seen everywhere. I think this sort of implicitly quietly political aspect of that is that lots of countries now have uh, leaders who are emphasizing national difference and national exceptionalism etc and so it's 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 a good time to say look this is a global story cinema is a single glo- cinema lovers are a single global tribe as it were you know and so even though you know, I wasn't brought up in Japan, even though I wasn't brought up in Iran. There's something about their cinema, which is mine. And that's kind of rejuvenating, I think. Do you feel that you have, um, you've changed the way you watch films? With, with, with When you're watching a film with, say, the, uh, the in, in the mindset of actually making a, a, a bigger project like this, do you find you're watching the films in a different way, like you're enjoying them and you're, be, you're being more kind of forcefully analytical and, and, and objective about them? Or, or can, do, do, can you watch a film for a project like this and just think that was an absolute rip snorter and I just want to watch it again, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, If I've got a project in mind, if there's a specific thing I'm doing, then I guess, yeah, your mind scans the film looking for that particular thing. You know, for let's say if I was making a film about, I don't know, feet. If I watched a film, I would notice the feet scenes, for example. Um, But more generally, I haven't changed much. I've been watching films for... 45 years now and I started clearly watching as a boy and all the and I wasn't a filmmaker I didn't think I would become one but 45 years later I still feel watch mostly in a on sense on filtered childlike way I think you know as open as possible to the you know the uh, kind of imaginative plenitude of the film or the simple joy or the fun or the musicality or whatever and then as soon as the film finishes I find that my adult brain kicks in and is trying to uh, trying to work out why I liked it or what was fun about it 
And yeah, and th- th- I think that's a good way to watch. It means that you don't become snobby, you know, and I, do, I, I really don't like snobby film people. Or f- I like them, but I don't like their taste, you know, um, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, and so when a film like Cats came along at the end of last year, I watched it and I, I had an amazing time in the cinema, you know, and then I had to work out why. So, yeah, I think I still watch films similar to the way I do, even though I'm a filmmaker now and even though some of my films are about I guess with a film like Cats, it feels so different to everything else that when you've seen so much, it, it almost becomes a piece of a wider puzzle. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And Cats felt to me like, you know, filmmakers have mood boards where you stick loads of things on a physical board or in an edit to say it should feel something like this. And those things aren't expected to fit together or cohere and cats felt like the most expensive (laughs) mood board in movie history (laughs) that's that's i I think tom hooper would be pleased with that (laughs) um so one of the things that i have also watched is a little sort of i guess a little additional documentary that you have made as part of the blu-ray which kind of explains some of the the process and um some of your thinking behind the creation of the film and one of the one of the the, the aspects of it that is quite, that seemed quite shocking to me um, is that you 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 said that you worked on the film for quite a long time without any remuneration remunerations and yes yeah remuneration yeah that's that that seems that seems mad I mean uh, what 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 was the what were your feelings for the reason behind that. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> there are good and bad aspects of that. We tried to get some money for this film, but nobody, but people didn't want to give us much. And my producers are pretty brave, and they thought, we'll just do it anyway. We'll stop. You can spend a lot of time with the begging bowl, you know, waiting for the green light. But you realize that the green light might not come or if it does come it comes with loads of conditions so if we had had funding from say a tv company for this they probably probably would have said 14 hours is way too long they probably they might have said things like um we haven't heard of many of these filmmakers could you focus more in the more famous ones or they might have wanted us to focus more on hollywood there are loads of conventional ways of doing this talking about making it a story of victimization for example or a chronological story and so the fact that we got not a penny of funding of external funding for years and years and years meant that we were free to do it our way when the film was first announced some people said oh who commissioned this you know and i was just sitting here laughing having made the having been three years in at this point nobody commissioned it and you know that might be people who don't know the film world very well think that you just don't do anything until somebody gives you a big pot of money and then you live a sort of fancy lifestyle and make your film but that's certainly not the way I work you know I've got a very simple lifestyle so it meant that you know we we could work without we paid our editor our producer my producers paid the editor properly because you don't want to exploit anybody else it's okay to (laughs) self-exploit but not others and also you need to have the confidence in the work and we just plowed on and on and on for years uh, this is long before Weinstein happened or anything like that just just in the basic belief that this was valuable and it was particularly valuable just to look at the work David not to tell the stories of the lives of the filmmakers or their their industrial difficulties because that there are better people to do that and I think it's paid off because it's you know it's it this this 
film won't date too much because it's just about the work. It's what people did in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, etc. Yeah, I mean, it, it it does it does like really baffle me that that something like this would that that's I don't know. It's, it it feels so important from the outset that the to be able to have that freedom and creativity and the desire to want to actually tell a a slightly an off kilter story or a new a new kind of view on an often told story that you'd have to sort of take that route. And it, I don't know, it seems maybe that if that, that could be a kind of wider story for a lot of more independent-minded and creative art, really, um, which is sad. Yeah, and I think if you work, if you work, but if you work really, really cheaply, you know, I mean, they, I've been filming, I take my camera everywhere, I've been filming for decades, and so I've got thousands of shots on my computer. So it means that you make something like this, if you want driving shots, and as you know, there are lots of driving shots. Quite a few of them were on my computer, or my producers at Sam, and we bought some in. So didn't have to do much actual physical travel for this one. So it was made relatively cheaply. And again, when you work on low budgets, you, as a consequence of that, you buy your intellectual liberty and your creative liberty and so it paid off well and this film has sold all around the world more than anything i've ever done and all like it's, uh, american tv is going to go really big with it it's already had a big impact in brazil and uh, uh finnish tv but i think scores if not a hundred films directed by women to play with it you know and so lots of uh, india china russia etc uk still hasn't bought it for um TV, but we are in a particular moment in the UK where, you know, because of Brexit, etc., where we're quite inward looking in some ways. I think. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. That's that's kind of tragic. Um, I hope people do see it. And I wondered, I guess, final question then, like, uh, uh, do you, when, while you were doing this, I were you, were you, you know, you 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 make lots of movies. Are you are you? Yes. Were you making other movies at the same time as you were yes. making this? <laughs> yes, I was. You know, <laughs> I love. You know, I love working. You know, I love the energizing effect of of trying to be creative and think up particularly um, f- questions of form. What's the shape of the film? That's my central excitement. You know, and so yes, I've just uh, I've, I've finished uh, uh, another film about the great film producer Jeremy Thomas, which uh, will be coming available soon we hope depending on what happens after lockdown and uh, and i've been working i've been working at, at the same time on two other films which i haven't i i shouldn't say anything about okay. just yet no no that's good to have that secrecy i i was i was wondering will you have like because a, a lot of the films you make are you make documentaries and you make i guess you'd call them like sort of poetic essay films as well and i wondered w- w- is there ever been a desire to go into the kind of full bore fiction on a set with big collaboration with other people film movie yeah well yeah i mean i've done some of that as i'm sure you know i made a film called i am belfast and some of the scenes in that had you know a crew of 30 and extras i think of 60 you know and big technology and i made what i think is a fully fictional film stockholm my love with nena cherry for example so and my first the very first films the short films that i did in my early 20s were had actors and scripts and things so i have done some of that um but it's the gray area it's the sort of it's the overlap between fiction and documentary you know the sort of the sorts of documentary that aren't 
reportage, for example, or aren't sociology or aren't news. Uh, it, you right, as you rightly say, the bits of documentary that shade into a slightly more poetic area. That's what really fires my imagination. And here, here's something, a, a crazy question, which I, I think I probably know the answer to. But would you, if you got someone like a Hollywood producer knocking down your door saying, would you make this movie for us? Have you got, do you have interest in becoming a, you know, could you be a director for hire? <laughs> I've been offered quite a few times, you know, sort of more conventional, bigger budget films, you know, and I just said no, because I know a lot of filmmakers and I've sat with filmmakers who did the Hollywood thing and they are, you know, shadows of their former <laughs> selves, you know, and I want to be I want to be making a lot and I want to f- f- concentrate on the creative process as much as possible and i don't want to spend years in development hell and post-production hell and marketing hell so i've been offered really very large sums of money to direct but i've said a very polite no wow wow mark thank you so much um uh, congratulations again on the film i hope as many people as possible see it go out and buy the blu-ray so it's available on blu-ray and it's going to be uh, on the BFI and player streaming, as well. Streaming on BFI player, yes. And then it'll come, as you can imagine, onto the bigger stream. It'll be able to be streamed in more conventional ways quite soon. And and on TV soon, I'm sure. Fingers crossed. Yes. Well, thanks so much, Mark. Have a lovely rest of day. It's lovely talking to you, David. Enjoy your day. See ya. Thank you. Bye. So that was David talking with Mark Cousins about his new release, Women Make Film. David, is that out now or coming out soon? I think by the time you hear this podcast, it should be out uh, on on BFI Player. And um, as I mentioned in the interview, yeah, it's probably going to be on other platforms fairly soon after that. So it should be widely available. Is it a bingeable thing? Watch it all in one? Oh, big time, big time. I mean, uh, I I was very... I, I think I watched it in about four, three hour chunks. And it's very kind of... Um, it's very therapeutic. It's very like, you know, you, you just, I think one of the great things about it is that he very rarely uses the same, like the same films appear occasionally, but not very often. So like with each little chapter, you're, you're making like two or three quite sort of major discoveries, or at least, at least when you're watching the films, you feel like you just, there, there are so many instances where you think, I absolutely have to see this in some way. And a lot of them are very, probably extremely tough to track down. So, you know, as, as, as we said, I mean, you hope that that something like this will act as a kind of first port of call for, 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 for for other maybe distributors or, 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 you know, Blu-ray labels or, you know, streaming channels to, to actually kind of pluck these films out of obscurity. But I know that the, the, the there there are a, a host of films playing alongside this as a kind of cura, you know curated extra so there oh, will be wonderful. opportunities for people to to watch to sort of dive in do a bit of deep dive outwards i, I remember he he did that around his documentary the story of children and film yeah there was a whole touring program with some of the great deep cuts in that i think that's one of the best things about his work isn't it that you see the doc but then often these other films are unearthed alongside them yeah Oh, terrific. I, I think, yeah, he's definitely like, you know, he's, I think there is so much advocacy in his work and it's not, it's never done in a kind of, um, in a way that's like, um, 
it's 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 very earnest the way it's done and i don't mean that in a negative way it's it's very sorry it's not earnest it's very sincere mm-hmm. um his, the way he kind of advocates for cinema and you know i think we've got to just we 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 should not look at what he's doing as in, in any kind of cynical way right it's interesting what he says about getting scripts to make other other films who's who's approaching mark cousins to make movies is he was he in the running to make venom 2 <laughs> I think when you when you've when you've made when you when you've proven yourself to be able to to make movies and get behind cameras and you mm-hmm. know work with actors and you know as he says he has made things like on a bigger yeah. scale before and you know in his youth he's made like shorts and so you know he does have the sort of technical know know how so you know people people that that's rare and people need that and um he you know he's he's a man with a vision yeah, I think that's something to put to the listeners. Listeners, let us know at the usual channels uh, what projects you would put to Mark Cousins to take on next. That would be at Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com, but there's also the comment section at com slash podcast. David, thank you so much for talking with me today and also for bringing us this interview. No worries. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a Seven Digital production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.